following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth had been on Jesus' head, but not lying with the linen wrappings, rolled up in a place by itself instead. The other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, They've taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. You may be seated. Thank you for that reading, Liz. Nice to have you in Rochester this weekend. Let that be a lesson to all of you. If you, if you move away and come back to visit, I will accost you as you enter the door and ask you to do a reading. <laughs> That's how we roll. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning with this passage that was just read. Actually, first of all, with apologies to people who are listening to this on the podcast, and this will be entirely irrelevant to you, I found an earring on the floor <laughs> um, on the way in. It was right there. It's a silver-colored one with a hoop and a little emblem in the middle. Um, if you recognize that, is that yours? Okay. I'll bring it to you later. Okay. <laughs> also, I found a man's ring in the parking lot last week. Looks like it might be a wedding band, guys. Um, So if you are missing your wedding band and would like discreetly to come talk to me after service, (laughs) I would be happy to return it to you. And it will be our little secret. (laughs) Okay. So I want to think about these characters this morning from this telling of uh, the resurrection story in John 20. Who are the characters in this story? Um, we have Mary, right? And there's two, two other people, two men in the story. Who are they? Peter is one. And the other one is described as 
the disciple whom Jesus loved and the other one, uh, the other disciple, um, sort of uh, not self-deprecatingly, this is John referring to himself. Um, in his gospel, he refers to himself as uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, <laughs> uh, which just goes to show it's nice, uh, it's, it's nice to be able to write the story. <laughs> um, isn't it? So we have three witnesses to the resurrection. And these witnesses, I, I think, do matter to us. The other readings that we've encountered today, the one from um, the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians, talk about these early appearances of Jesus that happen. And it, they, they seem to assume that these are the most compelling evidence for the resurrection. Saying to people in a contemporary setting, we saw him. We are actual witnesses to this event. Or in the case of Paul, he says, I saw him last, but before that he appeared to this person and that person and then that group of 500 people, and they're most of them still alive. Essentially saying, you can go ask them. Now, that was written 20 years after the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. So um, I've said before, it's a little bit like me saying, I saw Kurt Cobain raised from the dead, and he appeared to 500 people. You can still go ask them. It was, it was 20 years ago. Um, you know, it'd be hard to, to cook up a big, giant lie about that. So these three different witnesses in this gospel story, three different personalities, three different responses to what they see. And is so, as is so often the case, I think it might be helpful for each one of us to think, uh, as we read this story and um, dig a little bit deeper into it, about which one of these personalities most closely resembles our own. Not because I want to encourage uh, self-centeredness, simply because I think uh, it's, it's useful to, um, to kind of uh, empathize with the characters that we read in these stories and allow them in some ways to empathize with us, if that makes any sense. Because you can see how all three of these voices are, are eventually used in the story. I mean, Peter is the one who gave the sermon in Acts 10 that Colleen read at our call to worship. John is the one who wrote this down and, and we're reading it. And Mary, we'll get to in a minute. But so whatever your personality type, whichever character you tend to empathize with, um, I think you have an important part in this story as well, which is why I want to ask you to, to, to dig into these characters a little bit. And before I, before I dive in, I just want to say this. If you were not uh, at our Good Friday service, if you weren't able to attend or just chose not to, I hope that you have spent some time reflecting on that part of the story. I'm not going to go too deeply into it right now, but as I said Friday night, the temptation to skip ahead to the resurrection without dwelling at all on the crucifixion is, I think, dangerous to our complete understanding of the gospel story. It's a very, um, if you'll pardon me, uh, it's, it's a very kind of American thing to do. <laughs> like, give me the dessert, man. <laughs> right? I'm going to go to the drive-thru and just get the frosty. <laughs> Uh, that analogy breaks down fairly quickly because it's not as though cheeseburgers and french fries are the healthy part or anything like that. <laughs> Let me try it this way. If you're a gardener, this is one of your um, favorite times of year, those of us who aren't gardeners might think. <laughs> I suspect that if you're a gardener, actually your favorite time is months from now when you can sit a little bit and relax and enjoy the 
fruits of your labor. But right now, what you're doing is digging in cold, dead earth, aren't you? Turning over the stuff, the weeds that maybe are in there, even the life that was there last year. Last year's flowers or vegetables have died, and you have to dig that out and make space for something new to to be born and, and live and grow. And I think the same thing is true in our spiritual lives that um, you can't just skip to the flowers. You have to allow uh, yourself to dwell in the death a little bit. And so as as I said Friday night, um, it's probably unfair of me to expect those of you uh, who are just encountering this idea now to, to do this right now, this instant. But as I said Friday night, I'd encourage you to let something die before you expect something to, to rise again in your soul. You may need to let go of any number of things, relationships or job situations or uh, expectations or hopes or dreams or um, theologies that you've <laughs> developed over the years or uh, the expectations that your family or your church place on you about what you ought to believe if you're truly to be saved, and all these things. Sometimes you have to let even those good things die before you can experience new birth, okay? That was a Friday thing. Let's get to Sunday. I want to start by observing where each of these three persons was on the morning after the crucifixion. Well, where were they? Peter and John were at home, apparently, Mary Magdalene, on the other hand, was at the tomb. I wonder why they were in those places, especially maybe why Peter and John were at home. If you consider what they'd been through, maybe it makes a little bit of sense. I mean, imagine having spent these years with Jesus, witnessing miraculous healing, hearing him teach about God and interpret their entire religious structure in a way that turned their world upside down completely reorienting their worldview about all kinds of things. After having that experience for years, suddenly they're a couple of days removed from seeing that man executed. Their anointed one killed, taken off the cross, lifeless and still, and placed in the tomb. The execution had taken place on the Friday. Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath, so you can't really get out and around, although I I sometimes wonder how interested they might have been in strict religious observance on that particular day. But Sunday morning comes, it's still dark, they're at home, Mary is at the tomb, and I wonder, where would you be on this occasion? Maybe if you want to make a direct spiritual application, where are you now? Remember, it's not fair to the experience of the story to skip ahead to what you know to be the the end. I want to encourage you for a minute to stay in the pre-dawn darkness with me and with Mary for at least a minute or two. See, in that darkness, none of them had any reason to believe that Jesus was alive. No reason at all. So maybe we could cut Peter and John a little bit of slack for not being at the site of what was to be the greatest miracle in the history of the world. What point would there have been for them to go to the tomb? He was dead. I wonder when it's dark out, where do you go? 
Are you the kind of person who can go to the tomb, maybe even not knowing what to expect or if you should expect anything? Or are you the kind of person to sigh and stay home? Maybe call in sick on this religious stuff for a while. It might be that you have been stuck on Saturday for a long time. I actually think Saturday is where most of the world is, by the way. Certainly, people who are skeptics of Christianity live on Saturday. They're with us historically up to the crucifixion, um, which is pretty much a universally accepted historical fact, right? denying the existence of Jesus and that he was killed um, is sort of uh, academically equivalent to denying climate change or um, you know, the age of the earth and so forth. So a skeptic can get with us right up to Saturday, right? Then says, no, no, no. The resurrection, laws of science, etc. No. But even those of us who are ostensibly people of faith, I think sometimes, for practical purposes, live on Saturday. We live in a, a crucifixion world rather than a resurrection world. So if you are a kind of person who is at home in the dark, spiritually speaking, I want to encourage you this morning, just go to the tomb. Just come as far as the tomb with Mary. Take another look at the situation. Even if you think there's no point, nothing could possibly happen, it's a grave site, just see what you find there. So that's where each person was. That's the first little examine I want to make. Mary's at the tomb. Peter and John are sitting at home. Next thing I want to look at is their first reactions when they find that the tomb is, in fact, empty. So what did each of these people do first or say first or think first when they see the stone has been rolled away and there's there's no body in the the gravesite? So it says, Mary, who is there first, saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran... And went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have been laid, or where they have laid him. So Mary, I think, is bewildered and afraid. Right? Unless you um, say, Well, she's just a girl. Of course she was scared. Uh, if I, I, you know, we're all nice egalitarian guys in this room. We, we'd never say that in the first place, but let's, let's assume that you did. Remember what Mary has just seen, right? She doesn't know the end of the story yet, right? Now imagine if you went to a graveyard in the dark. I think the tomb is like somehow safer to us because we don't put bodies in caves and cover them with stones anymore, right? Imagine going to a graveyard to visit the fresh, recent burial site of a close friend of yours and arriving there and finding an empty hole, a six-foot-deep rectangle in the dark, I think even the toughest guy in the room, and um, maybe even the toughest woman in the room, would be terrified and run away. (laughs) I would run away. So let's not not, uh, harass Mary too much about this reaction. So when Peter and John hear that the tomb is empty, they race to get there. John arrives first. He wins the race. But he's cautious. He kind of pulls up short, doesn't he? He bent down. 
the story says, to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. This is a walk-in gravesite. Again, perfectly natural, the empty graves of our loved ones. Most of us don't want to dive into those things first thing in the morning when it's still dark out. I mean, I speak for myself, but I suspect that's true for you as well. Peter arrives late, but as always, is a little bit rash. If you read the New Testament, you can, if you read these Gospels, you, you can get Peter's personality type really quick. You don't exactly have to be a, a clinical psychologist to find out the type of dummy that Peter is. Right? <laughs> he wears it all on his sleeve. Maybe he's carrying a few extra pounds compared to John. He gets there late, but he's not stopping. He runs right in. (laughs) Peter came following John and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, which John had seen from outside, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And then John, seeing that Peter didn't get like uh, you know, killed by a ghost or, <laughs> um, you know, attacked by a robber or whatever he was worried about, follows Peter in. And then it says, he saw and believed. And he immediately went home and started writing his gospel because he was the first Christian. No. <laughs> this confused me at first, but I think what it's saying is that he saw and believed that the body was gone. Right? Because <laughs> before it had just been a woman who told him, and in Jewish culture, women are not even allowed to give testimony in court. So he goes in and sees that the body is in fact missing, and he believes. <laughs> right? Because if you read along, the very next thing that, that he says, John, about himself, when he writes this down, at least he's honest, he says, as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So they, maybe they thought that the body had been stolen, that this was the scene not of a miracle, but of some sick, twisted crime. No wonder then that they returned to their homes. Peter and John are apparently homebodies when it comes to spiritual crisis. So that's their first reactions. Mary is scared and runs and gets her friends and comes back. John sprints to the tomb but doesn't go in. Peter comes huffing and puffing behind and immediately crashes into the tomb, and then John follows him in. What is your reaction upon seeing this empty tomb? Again, perhaps if you're a skeptic, you could, you could even come this far with us. You could say, well, maybe the tomb was empty. Somebody probably stole the body. It's a legendary figure. Somebody wanted to start a religion. And so they hid this body, cooked up a story, so that they could get themselves all executed by the Romans. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) No, that's not. (laughs) But I'm sorry, I should give you a little more credit if you're a skeptic. I'm somewhat skeptical in my own um, tendencies, so I don't mean to poke fun at you if you're a skeptic. Perhaps you are willing to believe that the tomb was empty, just not that there was a resurrection. That might be your place. That might be your first reaction, having come this far to the empty tomb. Come with me that far if you haven't already. The tomb is empty. What do you do? You run away? Do you seek a second opinion? 
Do you run to see but stop short? Do you rush inside, guns ablazing, spiritually speaking? Okay, so we've seen where they are when this story starts. We've seen what their first reactions were upon finding the tomb empty. The last thing I want to look at together this morning is at their active response, by which I simply mean, what action do they take? I've already told you what the disciples did. Peter and John went back to their house. The story doesn't quite go into why they did that. It might have been a, this is too early for this man kind of situation. <laughs> Maybe they're just so distraught that they need, to, they need to be with friends and family. Do you run to friends and family at, at times of crisis? Do you, you just can't stand to be alone. You've got to be with somebody. I don't know. We have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were simply confused. I, I might certainly be confused having found a, a, a burial site empty. Personally, I don't have much capacity for drama. <laughs> so I think I probably would have gone home too. But look what Mary does. Mary Magdalene stood weeping outside the tomb. You see, there's something about Mary that makes her want to be near this gravesite. She already had that in her. Something about her wanted to be near this gravesite first thing in the morning. She isn't apparently quite ready to let go of Jesus. She's not quite ready to accept that everything she experienced and witnessed at Jesus' side for three years had been a lie. She's not ready to go there just yet. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. I think sometimes we would do well to be like Mary when we come to moments of crisis and death, even as pertains to our religious faith, to mourn for a minute, to stand weeping beside the tomb. I don't think that the model of Peter and John is the right model. I told you, I confess to you, that's what I would probably do. I don't want the drama. I'm going to go home. I will put on Cartoon Network or you know whatever and just clear my mind. I don't want to think about it. Whether it's a spiritual crisis or an interpersonal crisis or a death in the family, it is sometimes easier for some of us to walk away and act like it didn't happen and try to move on with our lives. Mary's model is the better model. She stands there weeping at the tomb. Why is it the better model? Not because it's better to be an F than a T on the Myers-Briggs scale. Not because crying is a more honest response than saying, ugh, and walking away. But because of what happens to her, I can tell you that her model was the better model in this situation. The reward is enormous. Mary Magdalene, in this story, is the first human being to witness the resurrected Jesus. Not only that, but she becomes the first evangelist, the first preacher of the gospel. Take that, patriarchy. <laughs> 
<laughs> but seriously, I don't want us to underestimate this fact. There was a second century critic of Christianity, a skeptic, named Celsus. Um, he probably also invented Celsius, so like, we can hate him for that, too. Celsius is so stupid. Um, I like the metric system until you get to the temperatures. It's not good. <laughs> really, Fahrenheit, zero, you're in misery. 100, you're in misery. Right? Celsius, zero, you're like, eh. 100, you're dead. <laughs> Just, like, that doesn't make any sense. Sorry, this is not a lecture about the metric system. Celsius mocked the idea that Mary Magdalene could be a reliable witness to the resurrection because he said, and I want to be careful to point out that these are his words and not mine, she was a hysterical female who was deluded by sorcery. (laughs) The early church took a different approach to this. Uh, Augustine named Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. So this remarkable flipping of the social order is just one little piece of the beautiful puzzle that, that begins to get put together after the resurrection. It began with a woman who did not stay at home, who wanted to be near the tomb. She needed to be near the crisis point. It began with a woman who said to her male friends, Come and see! and who lived out the command of Jesus, go and tell. So on this Easter Sunday, I would like you to listen to the witness of Mary Magdalene. I'd like to encourage you, go with her to the grave when it's dark, before the sun has risen. Listen to her call. Come and see what has happened. Weep with her at the emptiness that is present, not only in the tomb, but until all things are finally made right and beautiful for eternity, the emptiness that is present all around us. Go with Mary to the emptiness, to the place of spiritual and religious and physical death. Meet Jesus alongside her as you wait, weeping. And then, if you will pardon the segue into what we're going to be talking about starting next week, go and tell the brothers and sisters of Jesus what you've seen that he's alive. that this great miracle, impossible for us to believe, may actually be true. And if it is, how the world has been turned upside down, death itself has been buried in the grave. So today... Listen to the witness and follow the example of Mary Magdalene.
one of the great saints and heroes of our faith. Will you pray together with me? Lord Jesus, we pray to you believing that you are real, that you are alive. Thanking you for the beautiful witness of Mary Magdalene, even as we rejoice in the fact that some of the characters of Scripture more closely resemble our own failings. Give us the honesty to weep at the tomb when we are disoriented and confused and in grief. Give us the courage to go and tell, to call those around us, come and see, even when we don't yet totally understand what we're calling them to, because we may never fully understand it. We step out in faith, asking you to join us there. Amen. Our response to the Word of God is twofold at Artisan. Uh, Firstly, I invite you to, in a moment, come and receive the bread and the cup of the Lord. Participating in the Holy Sacrament of Communion is something that uh, is part of our worship. In many ways, it's actually the, the climax of the story that we try to tell every Sunday at Artisan. It's an experience that is open to all of you who are seeking to follow Jesus. Remember the people who were around the table when Jesus instituted this sacrament. John was there. Peter was there. Judas was there. You do not have to be an expert Christian to come to the table of the Lord. You do not have to be a member of Artisan Church to come to this version of the table. The table is open for all who would seek to follow Jesus in this place this morning. You can tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine or in the juice, whatever is more appropriate for you and your family. Receive that in your body as food for your souls. Receive it, and in doing so, be in community with each other with all Christians in our city, around the world, as I sometimes say, even throughout time, who have participated in this sacrament. It's an act of unity with each other and with them. And it's an act of remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ, His body broken, His blood shed for you, for me, and for the world. If you're not following Jesus uh, at this time, it's okay to abstain from this moment in the service. Nobody will look at you sideways. It's perfectly fine that you're here. We are happy to have you with us, actually. You can sit and think or meditate and pray. Just don't let it be like some uh, self-perceived failing to believe the right thing precisely or to, to act your faith out perfectly well in every situation that keeps you from the table. And secondly, if you'd like to receive prayer, a member of our prayer team will be waiting uh, for you in these chairs at the corner of the room. Uh, You can come and ask them to pray with you right on the spot, and they would be honored to do that. As you're coming, we're going to continue to worship and sing a couple more songs together, so I'll invite the band back up to do that and lead us in that. If your kids are in the classrooms, please go and uh, collect them either right before or right after you take communion. 
and uh, we'll continue to worship God together. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.